You're listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Welcome to the Heart of the Ark podcast. My name is Jennifer Benke. I am the Associate Director of the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. And I am here with my very good friend, listeners, who you've heard me say in the bump for all of our previous episodes. At the end, I talk about my wonderful friend, Eric Hunter. So here he is in order to have everybody. Hello, Eric. Um, Hi, Jen. I'm so happy to be here. Love that you're here and joining us today. So you are here because, as I uh, briefly mentioned off air, that I'd like to continue the 20 year long or so conversation that we've been having about art and music and inspiration and touching the divine as an artist. So you're a pianist, you're a composer, you're a dad, you're a well put together human being that I am blessed to call a friend. Tell me a little bit more about yourself as well. And you're married to a beautiful woman. (laughs) Yes, Yes, I'm I'm married. I have two kids that are eight and five and a half, and they're uh, probably my greatest accomplishment so far. And I'm not formally religious, but I am very spiritual. And so we've had this ongoing conversation about spirituality and music throughout our long friendship. And uh, and music is a very spiritual realm for me. So, yeah, there's lots to talk about there. I don't know. Where do you want to begin? For our listeners, we can begin with the meditation because it begins and ends every one of our episodes. And it's really just a little snippet of the beginning of it. And I use the very end of the ending of it. When this time last year, basically, it was about this time last year, I called you up after, you know, not talking to you for like we do, we fall into an immediate deep conversation. And I said, look, I'm doing this new thing and I need someone who's going to be the right voice for this. Mm. And I had written a an executive summary that, you know, the powers that be needed to see so that they knew what I was doing here before I launched the podcast. And I had written a narrative for my boss because he is a priest and he thinks in more of a a liturgical narrative sense and then i had written a poem for me and i said which of those would help you and you said well send me the poem (laughs) so (laughs) so how do we uh uh, you know, we can talk about the meditation, but um, we we could talk about the ways we communicate as artists. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember I, I was asking you, OK, what are you looking for? And you told me what you were doing with the podcast. And uh, you said something to the effect, I want some kind of music that's like evocative of spirituality, but not cliche and like not too churchy in a cliched way, something like that. 
And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. Um, because that's basically my favorite type of music that you're talking about. And also very challenging for me because up to that point, I hadn't really tried. And, and so I hadn't felt I succeeded in writing something like that. Um, and I'm a classical musician. I'm a classical pianist. Um, so I've played hours and hours of classical music over the years, but I feel that music that falls into this kind of spiritual category is actually a pretty small fraction of all the music that I've played, and it, it holds a special place for me. So to try and write something like that was, um, you know, that that was a kind of big challenge for me. Um, so, uh, so I thought about that. I, I thought about some of my models, and I thought about the format because, you know, just being intro and exit music for a podcast didn't give me a lot of time. And uh, although I did write a piece that I was pretty happy with as a piece of music, I'm not sure how well I succeeded at confining it to the <laughs> constraints of the short amount of time we have. Um, by the way, if anybody's interested in listening to the full track, it's on Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube, all those streaming services. We'll put all uh, the links in the show notes for people. So I don't know, you want me to go into a bit about the creative process about that or? I said there's 2000 years of Catholic music, but mm -hmm. I really want it to be organ or choral music. So, right. And <laughs> But it also needs to sound, it needs to stand up to that that 2000 years so right right and you know going back back in the day jen and i used to sing in choirs together we used to sing religious music together um but i think we decided against using vocal music for this and i think you said piano and maybe one other instrument or something like that yep is what we we're thinking so i was also thinking along those lines and uh eventually i decided you know it's really not a lot out of time we have to work with, I'm just going to, to write a whole bunch of piano preludes, which is something I haven't exactly done before. And, uh, and then we can just choose from among those, whatever seems most appropriate. Um, so I thought about it for a while. I was actually going on vacation with my family at that time, didn't have access to an instrument. And so I came back after, you know, turning things over in my head and I started improvising at the piano and I was just trying out different ideas and uh, I had some stuff. I was like, okay, I kind of see what direction this is going in. And then basically on my fourth improvisation, I got something that felt like a whole piece and that was the meditation, but it wasn't complete yet. So I was like, oh, that might be, that might be it actually. And uh, I had recorded it and I sent the recording to you and you liked it. Um, so I was like, okay, let me tidy this up for you a little bit because it was just a very rough first take. And I, uh, I, I started making a written score of it and doing some little edits. And as I did that, I realized, uh, wait, this is missing kind of an important part, which is an actual melody. This is just the accompaniment. Although it didn't feel that way at the time when I first improvised it. So as soon as I started thinking about what kind of melody, um, sorry, what kind of instrument could take the melody, uh, immediately I just thought of cello, which was also interesting for me because I hadn't written for anything for a solo cello at that point. And um, so I was like, okay, let me come up with a melody on the cello. And funnily enough, I don't play cello, uh, although I did used to play violin. Um, and I actually 
figured out the cello part riding the subway um commuting to my <laughs> yeah commuting to my students um for teaching i uh, just printed out the piano part the accompaniment with some empty spaces for the melodic line just kind of filled it in like filling the dot um and that was it pretty much and then i i recorded it in logic on my computer and I sent that over to you, Jen, and that was it. I remember receiving the first, I think it was a voice memo of the um, of the first improv, and you were like, I think this is the one. And I, I was listening to it going like, this is so beautiful, and it's a complete piece of music. And when you texted me back, you're like, but it's missing a melody. And I'm like, what? That sounds <laughs> awesome to me. And then you add cello, and I'm thinking, you know, for me, from my point of view, you know, there there are pieces of music in different liturgies, not just in um, if, if I think about my experience, like like you said, we've we've performed classical ma ma major works of choir. Right. Like mm -hmm. so Requiem masses and big works like that. But you and I have also done some um, performance in a smaller setting, the two of us, and and worked through some of those um, Metner pieces of this that have spirituality as a as a large part of them. Or we've, we've worked in in these these idioms. We even did a whole recital sacred in a way that was a little bit more German romantic sacred music. Let's mm -hmm. in that way. So we we both work in these in these uh these languages let's say. And I hadn't really thought about like, what would be the instrument that would go with piano? And then I start to think about, well, what is a cello voice? That's, that's kind of a high baritone sound of an right. instrument. And, you know, that's where the church, the like the priests of the church, mm. dancing, they, that's where their voices live, if you're going to put it. So, when you said, oh, it's going to be a cello, I'm thinking, huh, that's interesting because, you know, I've, I've worked in other religious musics. I sing for a Jewish temple for high holidays, and there's parts of the Jewish liturgy that are played on solo cello because it has this sort of male voice mm -hmm. that stands up in a place. And I was like, that's really interesting because in a way it's kind of, the priest at the altar is a, is a cello, is a solo cello. Yeah. But all of the rest of the music, the accompaniment, the piano, that framework that you thought was missing, and I'm thinking is the piece that I'm hearing I already love, and I'm jumping up and down in my living room, like when you texted <laughs> it to me at 10 o'clock, right? <laughs> right, is like, this is it. This is like, yes, this is the it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was really interesting. And then when it all came together, it just had this, like this movement and the, there's, um, it goes in the, the cello. I don't know if I've heard a piece where it gave the cello so much, uh, dynamism, it, it mm -hmm. a lot of different, and it, it moves through the whole voicing of the instrument. So it was just, it was really interesting to me that, from your point of view that you chose that as the voice. And I, I think this is the first time I'm even telling you this, right? So. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. You know, the cello is such an evocative instrument that it's one of those instruments when you use it as a composer, it almost feels like cheating. <laughs> um, 
because it's just instantly emotional and composers love to use the cello and perhaps that's why I kind of avoided it up till now. Um, and then when I realized I had a good chance to actually use it in, um, in the right setting, I was, I was very excited about that. Um, it's interesting what you say about, um, the register and its relationship to the, the male religious authority. I think there's something to that. And I also think one of the things that's unique about the cello is it has a very large register, so it can dip deep into the bass, which I didn't really take that much advantage of. And it can also get quite high even into like a violin register. So I think one of the things that makes it a powerful instrument is there's this human core to the sound, and then it kind of expands that beyond the range of what any one person can normally sing. So it's like our humanity expanded. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about like the mechanics of composing this particular piece, but like, I know that you've performed this now as a solo pianist and Mm. you uh, write that cello line in the, in the right hand. Yeah. Right. So, but you mentioned to me that the piece now reflecting back on it is a, is kind of now changing the way you're thinking about your compositional voice. Is that true? Is it where? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it's definitely a milestone for me and I have no idea where I'm going to go from here. I mean, evolutionarily for me, I still consider myself pretty early on in my compositional journey um, in terms of like my mastery of materials that I've studied. So this is the first time I felt I was successful at doing something kind of late romantic, like Rachmaninoff, which is what it's very reminiscent of. But the process was very interesting. And I wanted to loop back to something you said earlier, where when we listened to the the uh, the first improvisation, the first version, it seemed complete in its own way. And then time goes by and you start just hearing other things that could fill in there. So I heard the cello part. And when I when I first started working on the cello part on the subway, I filled it in, uh, not start to finish, but just certain measures where ideas appeared to me. I often feel that composing is like putting together a puzzle, except uh, you don't know what the finished result is supposed to look like, but you find out when you get there. So I filled in gaps with the cello part and I got most of it on the first try, but there were a couple measures I left blank because I wasn't sure. Uh, And there were a couple measures that I thought I I would leave blank permanently that ended up getting filled in. I finished. So the version that I sent to you for the podcast was the first version of this piece. And I finished that and I was like, I'm done. And almost immediately after I finished that, I realized, oh, you know what? In the same way that I thought the piano part needed a cello to go with it, I was like, this piece needs another section to come after what I just wrote. This is not the end of the piece. I thought I was making the whole puzzle. In fact, I just did a section of the puzzle. And I was pretty sure about this, too. I was like, this needs a B section and then a reprise of what I already wrote. So an ABA form, basically. So I sat on that idea for a while because I got busy with some other work and nobody was asking me to extend this piece. I had some ideas that I tried out a little bit. It wasn't quite coming out the way I wanted. So I put it aside. And then finally, around April this spring, I had a concert coming up, which was a composer's showcase. And I didn't really have anything that I wanted to play for it 
And I was like, oh, you know, the meditation is the most recent thing I've written that could fit this format. I would really love to do it for this, but I don't want to do the original version. I want to do what I think should be the complete version. So that means I have to complete it. So I sat down and kind of like decided, okay, this is really do or die time. Because if I don't do this now, I'm going to have to like play some old piece that I wrote 10 years ago. I don't want to do that. So I did it. I came up with the, the B section after months of kind of not being happy with the ideas I had about it, it finally came out the way I had envisioned originally. And as often happens with this sort of thing, it, it's kind of a very spiritual process for me, because like I said, I don't know what it's going to be in the end when I start. And sometimes the result is much bigger than me and bigger than I feel capable of personally doing. And that was the case here. So I'm kind of getting shivers just thinking about it because I don't really take responsibility for this at all. Like I know that I'm the vessel or whatever the music came through, but I don't feel like I can just sit down and make myself write something like this just because I want to, you know, there's some external force definitely that's responsible for a major part of it. Because once I finally finished it and I did see the complete picture, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is, again, not to pat my own back because I don't feel responsible for this, but I was quite happy with the original short version. And then the extended version that I ended up with really took me on a much greater journey. And I think takes the listener on a greater journey where, um, you know, kind of it mirrors life and that we we grow and we expand and we go on adventures and come back, hopefully having learned something. And I was like, yeah, I only had like the slightest inkling that this is what I wanted to do. But what came out is much greater than that. So, yeah, it does feel like a milestone for me compositionally. And I hope I can build on that in future works. I haven't made a recording of the, the new fuller version with cello yet, but I did end up condensing that all down into a solo piano arrangement because like I said, I needed something to play for this composer's showcase. So I performed that, it was recorded and the video of that is on my YouTube channel. Yes, and I've, I've watched it like at least 10 times. You've got many more fans out there, but you know you still have number one gen fan. Um, <laughs> you know, something that you said though, in that there's this journey that you go on as a artist and that is that that kernel of that is the conversation like I mentioned that we've been having for 20 years right that you know from from my personal experience as a person of faith like I would look at that and say of course you do because you're not the same person that you were last summer that mm-hmm. you are this April or that you are this July, right? Like yeah. you have evolved, you've had more experiences. You have another year of being a married man and a father and an artist and a composer and a teacher and all the things that you do. So of course you're going to change. And so that's that the way that we look at the world as artists is that we're never a finished product. Absolutely. We're always constantly reevaluating who we are and how we interact with the world and we're how we continue to voice that open heartedness of the world because um the the world wants to beat us down <laughs> the rest of the world wants us to close up and so you know as artists we've had to figure out a way to survive in an open-hearted way and for me my strength comes from my my faith 
in a uh, in a very deep way because that constantly calls me to uh, this open-hearted living. But you know, you express it through different ways, but we come up with conversations that we can continue even though we don't always see things from the same background. And mm-hmm. that, to me is really life-giving as a friendship, as an artistic partnership, um, because I don't want everybody to always see things from my perspective. I'd like, but you, you know, we've always been able to have this. Um, I'm confident that you respect me, even if you don't always agree with where I'm coming from. And yeah. I think that's an important part of uh, living in the world as, as uh, people, you know, of faith, but also as people, as good men of all men of goodwill, right? That we're called to do that. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm going to slightly challenge you on something you just said, which is that the world wants to beat us down. Because personally, I mean, although it certainly feels that way sometimes, I'm not saying that I haven't had my own challenges that way. But my personal belief is that the world gives us the challenges that we need to grow as individuals. And I believe that the universe is on our side and it may not feel like it sometimes, but I've always kind of lived by the belief that the universe wants to challenge me so that I can grow, but that it's not going to give me a greater challenge that I'm than I'm equipped to handle at this time. And I feel this has been borne out in my life experience by the fact that now that I'm reaching middle age, my challenges are vastly more complex uh, and um and uh, require all the experience that I've gained up to this point in, in order to be able to handle. I certainly wouldn't be able to handle challenges like this 10, 20 years ago. I, I try to just keep in mind this idea of a supportive world, a supportive universe, and that these challenges are just here to make me a better person. Yeah. That's that's how I've approached it. Man, you sound like, you know, a person of faith too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I did ask you to read uh, the statement that Pope Francis has just uh, addressed to 200 artists. Now, again, visual artists, um, but he spoke to 200 visual artists last month about uh, finding ways to use their art to challenge and to capture the beauty of the world and to really be authentic. I think that's the message of authenticity comes through in what he's uh, saying. And I, I apologize. I'm in my office. um, So for you and for listeners, I'm trying to keep it quiet, but there is a conversation happening in the background, which I will do my best to edit out. Oh, it's okay. I can't hear it actually. Okay. Okay. So um, the, that idea that um, we're calling people to a, understanding of the divine through beauty so i wanted to now from somebody who's you know kind of doesn't really keep a pulse on what pope francis says every five minutes what is your take from that letter that i or address i asked you to read i basically agreed with everything he said i found it very beautiful and i kind of want to go back and read it a few more times to let it sink in a little bit more but i thought that he was talking about I mean, art has the capacity to make us greater than ourselves. It's like I was talking about with the compositional process. Like, I feel like I'm just a very small part of that. 
the process itself, the composition itself exists as a much larger thing outside of me. I think that's what he was saying too. I, I really liked what he had to say about harmony and about disparate parts coming together. And when you bring them together, you don't just get the sum of those parts, you get something much greater. And that's literally what harmony in music is. <laughs> I mean, a chord is three notes, but we call it a chord because you're not just hearing those individual three notes, you're hearing the sum of those three notes together, which produces something else entirely, which simultaneously in includes those individual tones. You can still hear them in there, but the effect is something more powerful. He talks about um, how an artist has a kind of childlike perspective on the world, which I also found very beautiful. We have to, you know, the one reason I like artists and, and uh, creating art and the whole, everything to do with it is that it forces us to do things that we don't want to do as human beings. Uh, as human beings, first and foremost, we want to feel safe. I think that's just a biological imperative. And so we tend to be risk averse, uh, but you can't be risk averse as an artist. You have to force yourself to try new things. You have to force yourself to grow and you have to force yourself to be uncomfortable. And uh, I feel like I'm starting to ramble a little bit now, but the going back to what he said about having that childlike outlook, children don't know what they're afraid of a lot of times because they haven't experienced it yet. Right. They will, they're experimenting and they will fearlessly make mistakes and sometimes hurt themselves and learn in the process. Um, but artists have to do that too. And I believe anybody who's able to take that sort of attitude towards life, I mean, within reason, of course, but just not, not to be afraid to try new things and stretch a little bit. That's what really opens you up to receiving the spirit of the world. Right. And the, I think that's uh, going back to what I said before about how the world tries to beat you down. I think that's what I sort of meant in terms of like, it's easier to be safe you know, that's, that's an easier path, but that's not the path of the artist, but it's also not the path of the disciple, right? It's not right. the path of, of the person who is going out into the world looking to not only transform the world in some way, but also to experience and give voice to the transformation in themselves. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really what I wanted to you know, get at with our conversation is that like, we're okay with being uncomfortable as artists, we have to be and wherever we are on that journey of becoming is really the most important part of living open heartedly or living an artistic life or living the life of faith or, or is is really just being in that open space. And, and speaking of that open space, I think one thing that we're forced to do as artists is to examine things that might not be appealing to us. It's interesting. Being a creator is, in some ways, is a very selfish thing. And we tend to always look at things in terms of raw materials, like, can I use this for my next artistic creation? And we'll just pull from anywhere because you never know where inspiration is going to come from. And uh, and sometimes we get a little too obsessed with success and standing out from the crowd. And But the point is, because of this, 
we might be a little bit more open to examining ideas that uh, are outwardly unappealing to us um, and we wouldn't necessarily engage with otherwise just to see if there's anything in there we can use for our artistic purposes. So we'll take an idea and we might hold it out at arm's length and kind of spin it around, look at it from all sides and be like, okay, well, what's going on here? Is there anything in here that I can relate to? Is there anything in here I can even understand and hopefully grow from as a person? Just enlarge my perspective. And I think that's something that all people can benefit from doing more, which is why I think everybody should study art of one type or another. But even outside of that, just this ability to engage with even potentially threatening ideas and just withhold judgment for a little bit Mm -hmm. until you have a chance to maybe try to see a little bit beyond the surface. This is something, like I said, we we talk about art, we talk about our kids, we talk about families, but because in the context of this podcast, I have conversations with people, and one of the things that in the church right now we're in the process of is this synodal journey. I don't know if you know about this, but Pope Francis has asked the entire church to have conversations about what the Holy Spirit is asking of us right now and go out and have conversations with everyone inside the church, outside the church, every walk of life, every country, every culture, every just what is the Holy Spirit asking of the world in 2023? Mm-hmm. And what you just gave voice to about looking at things from a perspective of non-judgment and engaging with ideas that you may not feel called to or feel connected to, but looking at the ways in which those things or the people having those experiences can change your outlook so as to either accompany them on their journey or to better help them find a way back to discipleship, a mindset, an openness of heart. That's really what I see this synodal journey as, is really thinking about the ways in which we can continue to ask people to be open-hearted in a world that seems less interested in keeping people in that space. And that's yeah, absolutely. From a, from, from a standpoint of an artist, looking at things without judgment and, and, and engaging with ideas that you're not necessarily connected to is informs you because you want you as, as a disciple, you know that the church is enriched by the more people that are part of it. And if we all, we believe we're all parts of the body of Christ, then all of the, all of the humanity needs to be accounted for in that body. Nobody is separated. And so engaging with how are we separating ourselves and how are people separating from us and the whys gives us more information as to how to build connection. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's really important to approach other people and other ideas with an open heart and open mind and just put a pause on the judgment in order to avoid unnecessary strife and conflict. But I also want to make the point that it's important to engage 
with, you know, like we said, these ideas that you might not agree with at first um, in this way, because you just never know what you're going to find. And just as a personal example from my own career, some of my favorite pieces of music now are pieces that I was not originally attracted to. And I think it's it's very funny because this has happened a number of times. Some of my most favorite pieces that have become part of my spiritual core at this point, you know, they're they're deep within my heart. At the beginning, I just heard them; and they completely bounced off of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I came back to them. I gave them second, third, fourth, fifth chances for whatever reason. And, you know, maybe a part of me knew that there was something there something in my subconscious that pulled me back or maybe I had to because of school requirements or whatever it was but I'm really glad I did because I discovered something there beneath the surface that now I've been carrying with me my whole life and is an important part of who I am so there's always that potential too yeah and I wish more people would have the chance to experience that you've been very generous with your time and so I just wanted to thank you for being my friend for 25 years <laughs> and also um, from the bottom of my heart for writing this beautiful piece of music and I can't wait to see um, the ways and I, I love that we can um, mutually admire each other's friendship but also um, our artistic expression through the years so I really appreciate it when I started the idea for a podcast I called you up because it was for me an artistic venture that I needed to share with you. So, um, and so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of it. <laughs> well, I don't know. How, how can you even thank me after all this time? I mean, we're, we're beyond thank you and you're welcome. But, but I'm very, very, you know, privileged to be here and to be a part of your journey and be a part of this podcast. And, uh, and thank you, Jen, for everything that you do. My pleasure, Eric. Give my love to Masha and the boys. I will, absolutely. And I will keep, you are always in my prayers, but I'll keep you in my prayers, especially in the next couple. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise. Part of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at Heart of the Ark dot fireside dot fm our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by eric hunter a dear friend of mine you can find out more about eric and his performances and compositions at eric e-r-i-c hunter h-u-n-t-e-r music.com this has been a pleasure and i look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future